Thanks for tuning in, Plunge fans, and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes by searching The Plunge with an exclamation point at the end. And share the show with all your friends, enemies, colleagues, whatever. This week, we discuss the near-endless outpouring of videos of white people freaking out on people of color in public. We'll also put to rest the needless adulation for ailing Republican Senator John McCain, the warmongering quote-unquote maverick who brought us Sarah Palin. In terrible takes, Glenn Beck got back on the Trump train. The fake woke world celebrated Torture Bay Gina Haspel's confirmation as CIA director, and Grimes took to Twitter to defend her techno-douche boyfriend Elon Musk's grotesque labor practices. In pop culture, we'll start off New Age with a discussion of Netflix's Rajneeshi documentary Wild Wild Country. Then we'll get cynical as hell talking about Obama's upcoming Netflix content and the unmitigated disaster that is the Solo movie. For story time, Sam will share a tale of surviving a close encounter with one of the most ferocious beasts out there, an irate and racist white woman in a luxury sedan. So go ahead and knock one back, or don't, it's your choice. This is The Plunge! Dan and Sam for your weekly deep dive into the worst elements of our society, or at least some people that really fucking suck right there, Sam. That's correct. The denizens of our cultural and political toilet. The man that we can safely call our large adult president's, uh, Donald Trump, uh, he had some great lines at an event tributing the NASCAR champion of 2017, Martin Truex Jr. Trump said, I have to say, your car looks truly amazing. In <laughs> fact, I want to get in that thing and just drive it right away. Do you mind? But it's, it's beautiful. It's incredible. Can somebody get this man a go-kart? Yeah, I mean, he clearly just wants to, like, ride in the fucking race car with Santa Claus or, like, whoever the fuck. Not only that, Trump um, also commented, and I'll tell you one thing I know about NASCAR. They do indeed, Brian, stand for the playing of the national anthem, right? They do indeed Somebody said, maybe you shouldn't say that. That'll be controversial. I said, that's okay. NASCAR's not going to mind at all. Right, fellas? They don't mind at all. Sweet Jesus. I mean... Add it to the books. That's another moment of clarity from our large president. Yeah, large adult president. Anyway, uh, he also... Apparently, his staffers... When they make statements on behalf of the White House, they feel the need, especially on Trump's Twitter account, to put intentional grammatical errors into the tweets that they ghostwrite for him in order to make them sound authentic. 
it has to sound like dementia ridden, like <laughs> man shitting in the middle of the night. So I suppose that's really the was <laughs> the only way to put it through Google Translate. You know, <laughs> I suppose it wouldn't be perfectly spelled. So to translate it to like the damaged brain of Trump, that is a way to be authentic. Well, I think it's funny with this. Uh, Trump staffers claiming that they have to like insert these intentional grammatical errors in order to sound accurate. I wonder if they're also like drinking 12 diet Cokes a day. You're only allowed to write tweets on behalf of the president. If you're like shitting yourself at four in the morning or whatever it is that Trump's doing when he tweets in reality. And you have to profess horniness for your family members. (laughs) Yeah, they just slip like very lewd Ivanka stuff in every now and then to to keep it real with our president, with our large adult president. I've always personally thought with the Ivanka thing that it's not so much that he actually wants to have sex with his daughter as it is that he thinks that if Ivanka's, He wants to have sex with himself! <laughs> yeah, he thinks that if Ivanka's fuckable, he's fuckable. He sees himself most in Ivanka and obviously not in his two you know, fucking sons who are butt ugly and grotesque, like gargantuan creeps. Yeah. I definitely think that he can't see himself in Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump. So he needs to see himself in Ivanka. And therefore he feels compelled to talk about how she's fuckable because if she's fuckable, then he's fuckable. And that's apparently important to him. I really think, though, that when talking about Trump's tweets, why do you think there's this obsession with whether it was written by him or by a staffer? Why do you think it matters? Like, we don't really ever care when any other politician's tweets are written by anyone else. Yeah, but when your politics are as driven by your personality as they are for Trump— as the tweet is is supposedly this unvarnished slice of a thought from Trump's mind, I don't think Trump tweets like other politicians. I think people, when they read them, like if you read Obama's tweets, you know he's not like actually writing that shit. Or if he did, it's been proofread a bunch of times. I think people have been bringing up the fact that like Mitt Romney never sent a tweet out unless like 20 plus people had looked at it or something. But with Trump, it's very different. Like he is like this fucking unpredictable wacko and i think a lot of his appeal is that he's quote unquote real a lot of people feel like he's even though he's literally like oh basically a tv show character and lives at a golden penthouse in the sky they find him real or they think he's not lying or he's unvarnished and that's a big part of his appeal i think so that's why i feel like people get so crazy about whether or not he actually wrote the tweets or not because I think with him, there's even like this sliver of a doubt that it could be. It, it probably was him, like just t- thinking, tweeting what he thought at four in the morning or whatever. Like President Trump's and definitely my own brain after talking about him for any extended period of time, uh, a sinkhole has emerged on the White House. On the North Lawn. It's expanding. There's no end in sight, apparently, and that's how I feel my brain, just holes being drilled into it with every passing day of absorbing various stories about this White House. So, Sam, tell us a little bit more. So, apparently, Steve Herman, 
from Voice of America came out and said that he tweeted this. He said that he's been been observing a sinkhole on the White House North Lawn just outside the press briefing room and that it is growing larger by the day. In his pictures, there are cones around it. So it's clearly something that they're aware of on the White House premises, but that has not compelled them to, I guess, fix the problem or whatever is causing it. Anyone who lives in D.C. knows that the swampy earth here, it could collapse at any point. And uh, it's pretty funny. I mean, what better metaphor could there be than a massive pit of swampy earth going straight to hell? And apparently the city faces a severe geological issue, including four bulge collapse, which means that the city could sink as many as six inches in the course of this century. But that seems, given the current course of politics, I think that estimate seems conservative at best. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be hitting new lows in this city every day moving forward. Let's get away from politics in you know the buttoned-up uh, politician sense, and let's talk about these... What seems like fucking daily incidences of just horrific white people freaking out at all manners of other people. I mean, loved that uh, pouring out of videos of that asshole uh, Aaron Schlossberg in New York, the racist (laughs) Midtown lawyer. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to all these videos that have been popping up of you know, white people apparently just freaking out on people of color in public seemingly for no reason. Of course, the reason most people could surmise is just racism. But I think it's there's been a new interest in it. I did see someone compare it to this isn't they're not exactly the same thing, but the outpouring of videos of black men being shot by police. This is like another way to visually document the experience of racism, the experience of, I guess, like having a different going through life differently being unable to just sort of coast through life and have a normal day like a white person if you're a person of color and it's just like it's you know they say about black lives matter it's not like these the police have not been shooting black people or like they started all of a sudden the issue is that now people have cameras and they can fucking document it i feel like this is maybe a similar thing and any you know black person or a person of color can definitely tell you a story in which white people bullied them or like threatened to call on the cops on them for seemingly no reason. And then they found out that the reason of course was just that the white person they were dealing with happened to be exercising their right to be racist. (laughs) Yeah. So you seem to suggest that we can mark a distinct period this year of these incidents with the Starbucks, um, Incident from a month or two ago with the two black men being uh, arrested for sitting at Starbucks waiting for someone. Yeah, yeah. It was in Philadelphia, which may be the city of brotherly love, but I have heard it is not necessarily a city that has any love for brothers. And uh, it, <laughs> it um, apparently there are these two black men who are – waiting to discuss a real estate deal with a third person who was going to show up to the Starbucks. So like everyone does at Starbucks, you just sit there and wait for the person to show up before you order, especially for a business lunch or whatever. You're not going to order before the client or whoever you're meeting with. So makes total sense. 
And uh, either way, I guess a, an employee of the Starbucks called the cops and on the two black men. And like it'd be obviously the CEO of Starbucks had to come out and give an apology. And I think they won some money from Starbucks, which they used to start up a fund for the city. It's interesting in this case, I think that the thing that got the real shaming happened more to the corporate entity than to the person who called the cops. <laughs> Like, the memes in that case were just about how, you know, uh, white uh, white supremacist Starbucks was. Yeah, yeah, as if it's, like, more racist than any other fucking corporation uh, or that has white people in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, these uh, – I, I think you could have – people will tell you that you can have that experience at basically any kind of restaurant. Well, I did read that – Starbucks is now nationwide. The policy is you can sit there and not buy anything. Hell yeah. Well, that's a fucking significant victory for everybody. And, you know, I mean, it sucks that these two guys had to go through this humiliating fucking, you know, ordeal. But now people can just sit around in Starbucks without buying anything. So that's good. But either way, so there, the next thing I, I remember was the, the Airbnb thing in, in California, where I think these three black women were in Rialto, California. Were oh, was this the one where they didn't, like, wave hello to the white lady and then she called the cops? Yes. she They, they were checking out of the fucking Airbnb and then police showed up and, like, they said seven cop cars showed up and the cops – told the women to put their hands in the air and informed them a helicopter was tracking them. And apparently what, what, what happened was literally that, yeah, a neighbor saw these three black people packing luggage into their car, assumed they were stealing from the house instead of like fucking, like you don't know they're running an Airbnb out of this place. Like you don't see people like coming and going all the time. I think you fucking do. But uh, either way, at first, like, they were, you know, joking about it, but it clearly, like, it's kind of a serious issue if, like, you have this many police showing up. I mean, why are seven cop cars showing up anyway for just, like, a, what seems like a house robbery occurring in broad daylight? I mean, it's bizarre. It's uh, worth mentioning as well that the host pretty much was like, well, they should have waved. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the imp impetus is always on the people of color in these fucking situations. It's always like, well, why were those guys just sitting in Starbucks without ordering anything? It's like, well, why did the cops feel the need to put hands on them? Like, that's it's a different story. And I feel like in all these stories, there's a thread of, like, there's no logical reason for the white people involved to be acting this way, which makes you realize there's, the reason it seems irrational is because it is just racist, I think. Yeah, so a couple more. I mean, there were uh, the ones in uh, Yale and Washington, D.C., um, the one at Yale specifically. Uh, yeah, she was a grad student taking a nap in her dorm's common room on a Monday night after writing papers, and a white woman who also lived in the dorm saw her and said that she wasn't allowed to sleep there and called campus security, which I think clearly she just thought that this was like a random person who showed up because there was like, she, it's, it blew this white woman's mind that like a black person could be there. Apparently that's this white lady also had like a problematic history and had written some like really corny, you know, re college Republican essays for classes and stuff. 
But I think she was also uh, had some sort of like feminist studies, and it was some people were kind of roasting her for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good example of like white feminism. And then, like I said, the DC was literally like a guy with a baby. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like his son, it's like his son. There's a yeah, suspicious he, man with a baby. <laughs> there was a guy, uh, or you know, it was like a fucking black guy uh, at. Um, a park in DC, I think on the Anacostia River, and literally had his baby in a stroller. And he said that a cop came up to him and was like, I'm sorry, I just got like a call from. Apparently, the cop was like pretty apologetic and realized that the lady who had asked her to go over and investigate the suspicious man with a baby was just being racist. And the woman like left him alone. But then he, you know, took to Facebook and was like, it's clearly. I mean, the, the, I think the man is, like, maybe darker than his son, and he's like, oh, it's offensive to her that I have, like, uh, you know, she thought that I stole this, like, light-skinned baby or something when it was, like, clearly, like, his fucking kid, and I don't know, it doesn't make it, it's, it's clearly she's just being a racist, you know, pain in the ass. Do you have people just kind of inserting themselves into sort of uh, when they see, like, black or hispanic people in like spaces that they don't expect them to be i guess and that's why the case of the manhattan racist lawyer is so crazy because how could you expect to live in manhattan and not see people speak spanish (laughs) yeah clearly he's only ever lived in his like midtown office and maybe he went downstairs once but like i mean like you said it's really difficult to not encounter the spanish language in new york like and you know he had a history of this just like accosting like one of them was like you obviously you saw this video you like accosted like uh, what was like a bearded white man yeah he was like, like a Polish ugly guy. fucking foreigner <laughs> yeah no this guy's a psychopath he just screams at people on the street like a. and lunatic. did you see the one he was yelling at people protesting trump that yes. you're not real jews yes no he's just like he's fucking problematic on all ends and he's clearly been doing this for some time, but just as he feels the need to insert himself into this bullshit, so does do mediocre pundits like Julia Ioffe feels the need to insert herself into this bullshit and defend the racist lawyer. This guy, Aaron Schlossberg, he not only was yelling at these people for speaking Spanish, he also threatened to call ICE on them. And in this day and age, probably I, an act of—I mean, that is an act of violence. Yes, I mean, that's that's you are as you've said in the past uh, to threaten someone with ICE to threaten them with deportation is like depriving them of their right to exist. Yeah, it's to, like forcing them out of their homes and like. So the idea, either way, I'm gonna read the tweet, but just bear that in your mind, like that this guy was trying to try to call. He claimed he was calling ice on them he was like threatening these people with like bodily harm you know and he was trying to use make the state into like his bulldog so aaron schlossberg doesn't seem like a very nice person but does that merit harassing him in the street kicking him out of his workspace having people trying to revoke his legal license imagine this happening to someone you agree with and see how you feel yeah, if someone I agree with threatened to call ICE on anyone, uh, <laughs> I'd be completely fine with them being publicly shamed. 
Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the person becomes no longer someone you agree with. And, wow, it must be so horrible to be, what, kicked out of your workspace? Having your papers revoked? Yeah, that must be horrible. That's literally what he was threatening to do to those people. So, like, your devil's advocacy, this is the hill to die on for you. Like, you really want to defend this fucking asshole. He's just utterly reprehensible. No one else is going to stick up for this guy. Why do you have to be the fucking, you know, contrarian who feels bad for the racist lawyer? <clears throat> to the people I insulted, I apologize. Seeing myself online opened my eyes. The manner in which I expressed myself is unacceptable and is not the person I am. <sighs> But yeah, it is. You've been on video doing this for years. You just didn't think you were going to get caught. I see my words and actions hurt people. And for that, I am deeply sorry. No, you're not. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> While people should be able to express themselves freely, they should do so calmly and respectfully. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. It would have been way better if he had just called me the number. Listen, I hear you're speaking Spanish. Um, I don't think you have the right to do that. This is America. Uh, I'm going to call the police. So uh, that's just, I just wanted to come out and tell you myself in a calm, level-headed voice. Like, would that be better? Come on. What the video did not convey is the real me. I am not racist. Uh, one of the reasons I moved to New York is precisely because of the remarkable diversity offered in this wonderful city. Uh. <laughs> I love this country and this city in part because of immigrants and the diversity of cultures immigrants bring to this country. Again, my sincerest apologies to anyone and everyone I hurt. Thank you. Uh. Yeah, so in case you needed further proof of the distrustworthiness of lawyers, there you go. That's the most saccharine bullshit I've ever heard. I would have respected it more if he said, like, I am a racist. <laughs> yeah, he should have doubled down. He should have been like, I had did nothing wrong. There's Mexican people everywhere. They're speaking different languages I can't understand. I'm doing you all a favor. By you, I mean white people. If Aaron Schlossberg is not a racist, then there are no racists. It also goes to show, though, I mean, some people were like, it's so disappointing that a lawyer is like that. I'm like, well, listen, like white collar people or people with advanced degrees aren't necessarily good people. This is a hard pill to swallow, but you got to swallow it sometime. Like the fucking barbecue lady who Rod Dreher felt the need to defend in um, the American conservative, this barbecue lady in Oakland called the cops on a bunch of like black people in, in a public park using like a grill uh, and then feel, felt attacked because people filmed her being like a racist asshole. And, and uh, she, she was cried. a Stanford She cried. She cried. And she was a Stanford PhD. Like advanced education is not like going to teach you not to be racist because like fucking obviously. But I cannot believe people even like trotted that out. And of course there were people to defend the, the barbecue lady for, you know, def who was protecting us from the savage crime. Can you imagine being that much of like a racist hall monitor and then crying once you're called out on it? Like Yes! And the whole thing with these fucking people who were literally calling the cops on people of color, apparently for the crime of being people of color, 
as soon as they are recorded or the lens is turned on them, they're like, oh, you're persecuting me. You're persecuting me. This is a witch hunt. It's like, what the fuck? Like, that is just some, this is extreme hypocrisy and, like, fragility. I found one of the guys who uh, was there had a long Instagram post. Basically, in a nutshell, he says that, like, they barbecued there, like, every year. And a white woman named Jennifer Schult came up and harassed him and his family for two hours. Uh, mind you, Kenzie's barbecued at the lake at the same location since he was a kid and his family would take him there. He was carrying the tradition with his family. Jennifer, the white woman, told Kenzie and his family it was illegal to barbecue there. It was not, and there were no signs saying otherwise. The woman threatened to have him disappeared by the police if he can't stop. She called him the N-word and told him he didn't belong at the lake. Kenzie thought she was a nutcase and pretty much laughed at her. And, you know, he didn't think she was going to actually call. The cops ignored the first call, and she waited there for, like, hours. Yeah. Um, and she only got upset when the family started filming her and another white woman called her out. When the police came, Jennifer busted into tears and played the role of the victim. The police were ready to take her aside until the other white woman showed police the footage and explained oh, what shit. happened. And uh, the uh, talked about how the woman blatantly lied and misused police resources and wanted her to be arrested and held accountable. And it should go without saying, he says, that someone born and raised in the city shouldn't feel unsafe to use the lake. And uh, this person clearly like lied because they're, you know, black I, and there's no like there is no conceivable situation where she calls uh, the cops uh, on you know a white family. It just it, the, this woman and you just look at her and like just that irritatingly like smug like I I'm taking care of business look she has in the, those memes. It goes to show from this post that if we didn't have this guy telling you this extensive backstory where she's like calling him the N word and it's just like acting clearly out of like just racial prejudice then we would have just assumed that what we saw in the video was all that happened and in the video she is crying and certain people like rod Dreher really think that she was like the victim in the situation and it's stupid as fuck i really do think that this goes to show though that like you know if you want to be a white ally if we want to be white allies i think a good thing for us to do is talk to the police because like you said the police were ready to believe that the white woman was a victim because she was crying until another white woman said, no, she was being out of line and she's only crying because we were filming her. And then the police were like, oh, I can believe if otherwise we don't know if it would have turned out that way. So definitely white people should be talking to the police. Take the front on that. The, the, the lead on that is my recommendation. It's sort of you can like navigate the world in ways like people of color can't, you know, and like you, so sometimes you can use that, uh, you know. Uh, to help other people rather than just like kind of do the opposite <laughs> yeah the opposite would be harming people and you know almost like almost like how like you know you could like if you're a bunch of white people and you know you could go like you know protest uh um on like deportations or something but if you're you know they wouldn't check your papers if you were white that kind right. of idea exactly definitely take the lead and when it comes to the idea of navigating the world I'm very happy to report that someone will not be navigating the world for much longer. That person is John McCain, who is dying. He's dying. 
I can't fucking wait. Between him and George H.W. Bush, just every day I wake up and I'm like, today might be the day that we lose John McCain. How about Lin-Manuel Miranda just getting like like a big old dick in his throat like <laughs> over the the having to, the Hamilton cast to perform for the war criminal like bag of bones George H.W. Bush? Yeah, and he was just being so sanctimonious on Twitter. He was like, it was my honor and privilege, sir, to support this fucking like i mean come on he's the head of the united states government or he was at a time he waged war in the middle east he's not a good guy just you don't have to have reverence for the office you can evaluate his actions as a fucking person well you know you say that but i've actually been working on a musical that will be performed by an entirely uh latino cast called bush (laughs) (laughs) and the only white character will be jeb bush's wife all right uh so fuck john mccain and this segment was necessitated by another piece of naked opportunism by someone who never ceases to disappoint Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, so we've roasted his Twitter before, and we're about to do it again because he earned it this time again. He had initially tweeted that he's like, what was said about McCain was vile, but I wish that McCain's had been as offended and vocal when vile stuff was said about other people slash races slash nationalities. Perhaps we wouldn't be in this moment right now. And... The fucking fail daughter, Megan McCain. Now, hold on. That sentiment that Kumail said actually is true. Pretty true. And also, Kumail's a huge platform, right? So to call out John McCain, that's great. That's the kind of shit you should be doing when you have a huge platform. For every good tweet that Kumail has to have, it's the law of what the, you know, for every action, there's a inaction that's equal or whatever but with kumail it means that every time he has like a kind of good tweet he's gonna have one that's like a real fucking shitter so megan mccain came back at him and she said um she literally said that her father john mccain is not racist the way that kumail accused him of being she and to back herself up she put up the video of john mccain with Obama, we should play, the, or talking about Obama being an Arab or whatever, you could, let's yeah, play the let's video play here. That. I can't trust Obama. I, got I, I have read about him, and he's not, he's not, he's a, um, he's an Arab. He is not. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. No? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. He's a, he's a, he's a decent family man, citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on, on fundamental issues. And that's what this campaign is all about. He's not. Thank you. That's the best you could do is that he defended like the most powerful, like black person that he like, I, I just, that is such a, like a poor way to illustrate his the, right. the wokeness of your dad. Not to mention it's fucked up that his daughter or, feels the need to jump in on these discussions. You don't see a lot of people just straight up like, you don't know my dad. It's like you are putting everybody in a position where they're like, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but uh, just because he's your dad doesn't mean he's a good guy. 
For sure. And clearly, I think Megan McCain is using this moment of, like, this reverence for John McCain to kind of, like, I guess, launch herself into the public more. But I think it's fucking preposterous that she defend John McCain from this accusation she used a video of him being racist in that video john mccain says no ma'am obama's not an arab he's a family man thus making the antithesis of arab family man which is bullshit like he was literally attacking arabs in that breath but kumail this was lost on kumail kumail instantly folded and he replied megan i did not mean to offend you i could explain my point further but instead i will just say something i truly believe if we had more politicians like your father the world would be a better place uh, i just i'm just gonna pardon me while i burst into flames <laughs> Uh, Loanoff Chen on Twitter replied, you trying to smash? <laughs> Implying that Kumail is trying to fuck Megan McCain by complimenting her dad. Which is really by the way to her heart. So let's talk a little bit about John McCain's history. Yeah, for sure. If Kumail ever stumbles upon this little podcast, he uh, knows that he got kind of fucked up there. So, uh, here's a little passage from something uh, Dave Anthony shared on Twitter. In his 1992 Senate bid, McCain was joined on the campaign trail by his wife, Cindy, as well as campaign aide Doug Cole and consultant Wes Gullett. At one point, Cindy playfully twirled McCain's hair and said, You're getting a little thin up there. McCain's face reddened, and he responded, at least I don't plaster on the makeup like a trollop, you cunt. Ah, <whistles> nice guy. The the maverick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this does remind me of how uh, I think apparently Trump raped Ivana Trump because her doctor that she recommended for him was like fucked up his hair plugs or something and he was like you may he's gonna be bald this story is recounted in the fabulous book trump anatomy of a monstrosity by nathan j robinson but yeah don't make fun of these fucking politicians hair apparently it really especially if you're a woman and they can you know, like assault you either verbally like john mccain or physically like trump yeah, so, I don't know, why don't we go through a couple of things John McCain has done in his career that might disqualify him from being considered a really cool guy. <laughs> sure, I mean, one I've got is that Kumail was right. I mean, John McCain is a racist. John McCain continues to defend his right to use the word, I don't know if I want to say it in the air. It's the Just it's, say it. Say okay. it. It's, it's antiquated. It's gooks which is a slur for like East Asian people or Vietnamese people, I guess, in this context, because John McCain says he has the right to say that word, which I'm not saying again, because North Vietnamese people tortured him once. Like he literally thinks that that gives him the right to say this word now. And wasn't his torture partially because of the fact that he refused to stop calling his captors gooks and he refused to basically say that the U.S. had... I, I can't remember the specific thing. Uh, I don't know. It was something to do with he refused to acknowledge that the U.S. had like committed war crimes in Vietnam, which 
Like, Which they did. They did commit war crimes in Vietnam. The My Lai massacre happened. Oh, here's a good one. McCain voted against the creation of Martin Luther King Day. Oh, great. Really showing his respect for other races. Um, I think one of the damning, some of the damning statistics about Trump or about uh, McCain, the fucking maverick here, is that he voted alongside George W. Bush 95% of the time, which was more than he even voted alongside his own party at that time. And uh, he has so far voted alongside Trump 90% of the time. One of the exceptions is that he once voted against a Trump-supported bill to the undo Obama-era methane emission standards solely because John McCain was upset that James Comey got fired. You did it as a protest vote for something that was totally unrelated. Uh, I, you know, that was a moment where people were like, thank you, John McCain, for being a true... He- what is the bar for being a fucking hero? Like, oh, here's a good one. He called Ahmadinejad, um, the former president of Iran, a monkey in a tweet. That's very classy, of course, to insult foreign dignitaries. And even though Ahmadinejad, it was probably a reprehensible dude. I don't know if he necessarily deserved to be slandered that way. Uh <laughs> John McCain also voted along, despite his, like, oh, Obama's a family man bullshit, he did vote alongside all the Tea Party garbage right after that losing the election to Obama. Like, he took advantage of the groundswell of fucking bullshittery, which, may I remind you, he had a large part in causing because his fucking running mate was Sarah Palin. And apparently, like, on his deathbed, his greatest regret in his life is picking Sarah Palin as his running mate, not taking any responsibility for the fact that he was a, like, fucking just really um, uninspiring candidate. He wishes that he picked Joe Lieberman, I read. (laughs) Well, that reminds me of how, didn't George W. Bush say that, like, the lowest point of his presidency was when Kanye West said he doesn't care about black people. I was like, oh, it wasn't the Iraq war. Like, it wasn't 9-11. That wasn't the lowest point of your presidency. Either way, more materially, John McCain voted for the 2007 surge in Iraq. He's also supported surges in Libya, Syria, and Afghanistan. I remember hearing people argue to me in 2008 that McCain would be, like, a better person on war issues or foreign affairs because he had children in the service and like he was tortured he's like he knows what war is like he doesn't want unnecessary wars yeah he fucking does he would send his own children to like he would be more inclined to like sacrifice his children in the same way that he was it's bullshit not to mention in 2008 he was singing bomb 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 iran like a, about the oh no like Barbara <laughs> yeah the Beach Boys song he literally did that uh, so like this argument that John McCain would have been like a, I don't know a kinder gentler like U.S. foreign policy is just like laughable on its face given his history what he says what he stands for like I don't know how that thought even crossed your mind with people like Kumail who seem to feel the need to like equivocate or uh, feel the need to like. Uh, justify their legitimate criticism by like backing it up basically and saying like you know i wish he called out more racist but i also wish there were more people like him it's like all right so you basically are just trying to do both which you can't because they're contradictory yeah 
Yeah, I mean, your own fucking thesis. Either he doesn't think racism is a big deal, or like maybe John McCain was somehow comparatively less racist than people today. Either way, it's incrementalist bullshit, and it's just sad when people idolize this fictional version of John McCain. Well, speaking of idolizing, you know, fictional versions of people, we all just uh, laughed it up. We yucked it up uh, in that Christmas episode of Samantha Bee's show with Glenn Beck (laughs) when he was apparently the old woke Glenn Beck dressing all hipster, wearing a scarf. And, uh, you know, liberal comedians were celebrating him because he hated Donald Trump. Well, the former never-Trumper, Glenn Beck, is back on the Trump train. Why is this, Sam? So this is because Glenn Beck is offended because people had a negative reaction to when Donald Trump said that MS-13 were, like, animals. And he was so upset that people would stick up for MS-13 to any degree that he is now back on the Trump train and thinks that Trump is the right guy. Backlash to the backlash has lashed him aboard the the Trump train. I would lash him across the face is how I would answer what I think was a question you just posed to me. I'm not sure. Either way, um, I I think it's funny that Glenn Beck is – I don't remember where I heard this, but I, I think – I remember hearing that he – if you talk to him, he's utterly, like, emotionless and devoid of any thought. But then, like, he goes on stage and just that kind of being comes out of nowhere. And he it's – like, it's like performance art almost. Like, he just, like, becomes Glenn Beck out of nowhere. And then he just turns it off as soon as he gets off stage and goes back to being emotionless. So I think we can clearly – maybe surmise that he's you know a fucking charlatan he's an entertainer more so than like any serious political pundit the blaze he owns the that um conservative media outlet which he has had since he left fox news the blaze is one of the prominent sort of conservative outlets and fucking 85% of Republicans still back Trump. So it's just bad for business if he didn't eventually reverse this stance and he just kind of needed to find a way in. And God, this is a great quote. Media, if you, can, if you can get me, Glenn Beck, to do this, and in case you're only listening to us on the radio, I just donned a red Make America Great Again hat. Yeah, I'll vote for him in 2020. And not really on his record, which we'll talk about here in a second, is pretty damn amazing. What I mean, a fucking loser. He's clearly seen the writing on the wall. On the wall, Trump is an effective vehicle for the Republicans to achieve their agenda, even if it doesn't oh, always happen the way they want it to. And did I mention the the Blaze has been hemorrhaging cash and talent in recent years, notably, uh, I believe that was where Tommy Loren started. So it sounds like his uh, decision is not totally an artistic decision and perhaps more financial. So in a moment that truly, truly shocked America, Hillary Clinton decided to back away slightly 
from the support all women stance that propelled her to the Democratic nomination against the vile bro Bernie. Frisbee tossing Bernie Sanders. The Birkenstock wearing. (laughs) He hopped up to the DNC wearing his fish shirt and like backwards upside down visor fucking started playing beer pong and said yo no hoes allowed and then uh everyone wanted to vote for him because the world is sexist and hillary clinton ever the feminist declared that you must support all women and that you know women would elect her president and that obviously did not happen and white women in fact voted for trump Hillary Clinton has decided with her support all women message to really live it up uh, to the fullest and endorse Andrew Cuomo for New York governor over Cynthia Nixon. Sam, what a fucking shocking development. (laughs) Wow, I'm just so shocked that she is so uh, sexist and homophobic against Cynthia Nixon. I guess she clearly could not stomach the image of a queer woman becoming governor of New York. And a lot of people have been bringing up the quote that what Madeleine Albright had, that there's like a special place in hell for women who don't vote for women. This has also sparked a conversation about how in many races this fall, Hillary's support is not something everyone will be courting. Yeah, it's clear that she doesn't work in all demographics. That's not to say that what, I guess, white people are scared of voting for her because she's so woke. And that's more to say that people want to vote for someone who might actually win or like the coalition that's winning. And clearly she represents a losing coalition that failed to even beat the fucking Donald Trump, our, like I said, or like we said earlier, our large adult president. I mean, I personally thought that Hillary would have just come out in support of whoever was leading in the polls at the time, even if <laughs> even if it wasn't Andy Cuomo or whatever. I mean, I think it would be it's weirder to imagine her supporting Cynthia Nixon, but it could just be pure, pure cynicism. And she's like, I'll vote for Andrew Cuomo because I want to vote for who I think is my consultants are telling me will win currently. Establishment uh, back scratching continues. Well, that didn't stop Hillary from making a sick dunk on Russia, which we should insert the audio from here. Congratulations to the class of 2018. I am thrilled for all of you, even the three of you who live in Michigan and didn't request your absentee ballots in time. (laughs) Now I see, looking out at you, that you are following the tradition of over-the-top hats. So I brought a hat, too. A Russian hat. I mean, if you can't beat them, join them. Well, let's just um, highlight that during this clip, she pulls out a Russian uh, hat. Yeah, like a stereotypical, like fucking just fur hat. (laughs) And this is supposed to, I guess this ethnic humor is really what goes over well with the fucking, you know, Yale graduate body. So 
Imagine if you were graduating from college and you got Hillary Clinton as your fucking commencement speaker or whatever. That fucking blows. Yeah, it's you just know like half your family is gonna be pissed all day. <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna be pissed either way. Uh, in in other great strides for female politicians, we saw our first uh, female CIA director, Gina Haspel, the torture queen, torture bay, uh, become you know fucking greenlit, and she is confirmed. And. and- it was very irritating to see the advocate which is an lgbt uh, magazine post gina haspel has made herstory because it, it could not be farther from like the feminist values of like you know equality for everyone and uh, i mean just just the, she's a fucking torturer she's a torturer Come on, like, can we, we don't need to celebrate this, like, for any reason. Yeah, the vicious acts of the CIA fall disproportionately on those most defenseless. Of course, it's going to include the most marginalized communities like women. So it's hard to argue that having a female director of the CIA is any kind of significant victory for any woman other than Gina Haspel herself. And it is shitty that as usual, we get the worst of the worst. We have the torture queen in charge of fucking the CIA. We've got the guy who wants to abolish the EPA in charge of the EPA. We've got the guy who doesn't want to give money to anyone in charge of HUD. It's just a disaster at the federal level, folks. Elon Musk and Grimes have decided to comment on Twitter about he unions at Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> This shit sucks. This this relationship is so foul. We've shit on Elon Musk's really lame, like, epic personality before. Epic bacon, <laughs> solar space wind, bro. Um, yeah, Elon Musk and Grimes are the worst couple ever. It's like when the like most popular like jock in the class inexplicably goes on a date with like the goth girl in class, and they make no sense together. But beyond that, Grimes is apparently is trash and elon musk we knew was trash and now we get to see their fucking insufferable you know quirky twitter relationship in in addition to uh grimes's worker exploitation apologism and grimes in her bio apparently she had the phrase anti-imperialist at one point and then recently she took it out Oh my god. So Grimes also changed her name. Her legal name is Claire Boucher, but she's changing her name to her first name to C as in E equals MC squared, like the speed of light, the constant. So it's literally a lowercase italicized C, and that's her first name. I hate I I just hate I hate that. I mean, is she dating it. Elon Musk or fucking Bill Nye, the science guy? It's the worst <laughs> nerdy bullshit. Uh, but yeah, she also took to Twitter to defend uh, Elon Musk's labor practices in a now-deleted tweet. Um, she says, he has never prevented his workers from unionizing and then put two black heart emojis. <laughs> <laughs> which which we, the purpose which, of that? Also, we fucking know that's not true. Like, this has been widely documented the um struggles for 
various uh, divisions of labor at the Tesla plants that are extremely overworked and um, uh, overtime issues. This is all this is an extreme push to finish these uh, cars. Uh, and then recall all of them because of <laughs> insane brake failures. Yeah, I've also heard that uh, people say that they call SpaceX Slave X because you're expected to work just endlessly and, uh, you know, do endless overtime. And he does prevent people from unionizing. But Grimes wants to tell you that it's quite literally fake news. She says, trust me, I've investigated this heavily and even visited factories, etc. <laughs> Fucking labor inspector Grimes. She said, but, isn't I, that, but isn't that something like um, sort of like a dictator's wife does? Yeah, it's true. You, you a little visit, bit of, like uh, you you go like you go and see like the the people like sowing the fields or like I don't yeah, know. That is a very good interpretation of this relationship, actually, that I haven't really seen much. I do think she is a little like the fucking dictator's wife. She's disarming. She's like a quirky, like tiny fucking indie pop star. Like she's, I love her music. I think her music's great. Even though uh, I did see someone refer to it as Rebecca Black music, like the Friday song, but I'll let that criticism stand. (laughs) Well, Elon himself stepped into the fray saying, nothing stopping Tesla team at our car plant from voting union could do so tomorrow if they wanted. But why pay union dues and give up stock options for nothing? What? For nothing, he says. Our safety record is two times better when plant was UAW and everybody already gets health care. He's basically saying that unions don't do anything. And this is like, do people see this and take him at his word? Like, oh, well, here's just an objective statement. I would say that, like, the Overton window for, like, labor issues in the United States is so far to the right that people probably might look at this and be like, oh, no, of course, that makes sense. But uh, definitely worse than this situation because we know that fucking Elon Musk is a trash person and, like, rapacious capitalist. We've known that from the beginning. But Grimes is just still up there. She's like – she said – Hmm, deleting my tweets about this shit because this is way too not nuanced of a conversation to have over Twitter. Again, I'm down to hash it all out in AMAs later. Because, like, Reddit is better for Twitter than Twitter for, like, fucking labor discussions, apparently. Um, she said she's down to hear opinions. In any case, love and respect to all. Please try to see me as a human being, not just an extension of another person. And then, like, another black heart emoji. And it's like, no, I wasn't really evaluating you based on Elon Musk. It was more your statements about Elon Musk, which are fucking wrong and dumb and reductionist. Best uh, take comes from at Jeremy P. Gordon. As a music fan, it's amazing I could follow Grimes from her DIY phase to her defending Elon Musk (laughs) for union busting phase. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely a real 2018 story in which, you know, your favorite indie pop stars are weighing in on the labor practices of the largest electric car company or whatever. But either way, um, we should, I think, leave all these terrible takes behind and move into some lighter fare, some pop culture. So the first thing we're going to talk about in the pop culture corner is... Yeah, one thing about this wild, wild country. 
takes a strong, strong, it breaks a strong, strong mind. Yeah, one thing about this wild, wild country. Wild, wild country. This has to be one of the best uh, sort of true crime history documentaries Netflix has done. Now, I watched it right after it came out, and Sam finally fucking got around to it recently. <laughs> so, finally, um, hope most of you have seen it by now. It's uh, an unbelievable story, uh, a piece of American history that I think would have been extremely um, uh, better known in the public consciousness like uh, Waco or Jonestown or Heaven's Gate or one of these other cult things if people had died. Yes. There are crazy things that happen in this story. But, but because nobody dies in it, I feel like that's why the story kind of faded from the public consciousness enough that you and I uh, could vaguely know who this Bhagwan Osho guy is, but we didn't know the details of this story at all until this documentary. No, yeah, I only had a vague knowledge of the the Rajneeshis, which is what this is about. Um, and uh, either way, I think it's it's basically the context is that uh, for the for this series, it talks about how the followers of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who is this kind of new age Indian guru who developed a following in Pune in India and then found himself in conflict because of his beliefs with the Indian government. He practiced like free sex, big emphasis on capitalism and his own wealth. He's known for having lots of jewelry and like 90 something Rolls Royces all told by the end of it. And um, either way, he just kind of practiced, preached this like hokey kind of cultish, like new age um you know feel good sort of stuff that was all funded by just you know naked capitalism very uh into meditation yoga the sort of eastern practices that have been done <laughs> right and they, they've gotten uh, a huge audience in america and especially at a time when the rajneesh built up their colony uh, in Oregon after leaving India that uh, it was very much a reaction to uh, the end of the 60s and sort of, uh, well, what do we do now? And it was it was kind of this new uh, hippie culture where people who were doctors, who were engineers, who were professionals suddenly were uh, finding a dissatisfaction with this post-60s life and found a uh, real comfort in the teachings of this guru. Yeah. So like any cult, I believe you, it required like significant financial contribution to be like any kind of member, have any kind of standing in it. You, um, they had their own kind of boutiques and bazaars. And in the course of the documentary, they talk about how they wanted to establish an ashram in central Oregon on the big muddy ranch, which is, it was like 60,000 acres of just nothing and like rolling, you know, muddy, rocky hills in central Oregon. 
And uh, they went there, and I didn't know the extent of the civil engineering they did to build this city. They built dams. They had an airline system. They had, like, they built basically a city from scratch, and it was yeah, like kind of full crazy. farms. They took land that was uninhabited and built a city there. Right, and they actually kind of, like, rejuvenated the land a little bit in certain places. And from a standpoint of, like, civil engineering, apparently they were very advanced and, like, being you know sustainable just as that was becoming a concern in the kind of 70s solar power right in the wake of this hippie stuff so either way in um i think in 81 is when they first moved there 1981 and then they run into conflict with the locals in antelope oregon who all struck me as kind of like old racist people and like conservatives honestly like i can understand not wanting to live next to the rajneeshis who end up poisoning a shitload of people with salmonella intentionally arm themselves with hella weaponry and uh do practice like free sex everywhere and make a lot of noise apparently loud sex at all times of the day and night um you get like a small glimpse of that through some uh hidden camera footage in the documentary of like what the the rituals that the followers of the of the bhagwan would participate in they were quite strange just like a lot of screaming and like convulsing and then you just have like these like crazy orgies yeah um and 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 let's talk about how the documentary kind of is put together it's takes a whole bunch of perspectives it's not only the filmmakers talking to the locals or the law enforcement or they, they talk to a wide range of characters in the story so they really set the stage and um Specifically, the Bogwan's right-hand woman, uh, Sheila. Uh, yeah. She's definitely, like, the breakout character of this thing. Um, oh, Sheila's the hero to me. <laughs> Even though she's the one who winds up, like, poisoning a shitload of people with salmonella and, like, a bunch of people within the organization. And, yeah, she's creepy, but... Um... Either way, Ma Nan Sheila, I mean, now she runs like retirement homes in Switzerland, um, but she's wildly outspoken. She tells like the Australian media tough titties at one point. Um, it's pre- she's pretty intense and uh, definitely a fiery personality. But to focus this a little more, um, what do you think is the value of in 2018 looking at what happened in this community because we, we we're not we're not going to go through each each plot point because i think if you haven't seen the documentary you should watch it but why do you think uh that moment in american history it seems to have resonated so much with people now well i think now people are in a similar time as the 60s like starting to question i guess the world around them and like society at large and you know politics or whatever but uh, I think it's really important because those kind of cults are like a very accepted part of our everyday life today. They make a lot of money and they're still very much in the public eye in weird ways. Like we just saw Kanye West tweet about Amamata, who I had heard about from reading a Rolling Stone article in like 2012 about her. But she is another kind of uh, new age guru that sells a lot of overpriced merchandise and makes a lot of money and her claim to fame is that she's given over 32 million hugs in her life like it's supposedly this transcendent moment when this like you know middle-aged indian woman hugs you um i think it's interesting that it appeals to this certain subset of like 
hokey, new agey, rich people. Like it's interesting. It makes sense that Kanye West is tweeting about it. People who, by all accounts, have succeeded in every facet of their lives, but still feel wholly unfulfilled and need this sort of just new spirituality like injected into them so that they can break out of their like adulthood malaise. Right. And you see it too with the Wild Wild Country documentary when one of the biggest supporters of the Bhagwan and one of the people who makes it into his inner circle is like a producer from The Godfather and like all these Hollywood types, a lot of money tend to like move in. And I think it maybe appeals to that sort of person. Not to mention Congressman, uh, I think it was Congressman Ryan who was killed in Jonestown. His daughter ended up joining the Rajneesh he was like a senator or a congressman who went to Guyana to confront uh, the Jonestown cult. Right. They obviously killed him and his daughter joined the Rajneesh. So uh, the appeal of the Rajneesh uh, was like far and wide, not to mention like selling the Bhagwan's books was like a huge source of revenue. So it still is and still is. So for people even outside the cult, like the, the ideas like spread far and wide and you get the sense in the documentary that none of them regretted it. Um, no, it was uh, something that I'm sure many of them would have loved to have continued. Well, I will go on the record saying that being in Rajneeshi sounds like fun as hell. Like you just have sex all the time. Who doesn't want to just like, yeah, fuck all day. Yeah, it sounds great. And it's always just rich people, and they just, like, hang out and, like, have fun and, like, live without, like, this eye of government. And I, one of the things in the Rolling Stone piece about Amamata that I really liked, the author mentioned how people – obviously, the hug is not transcendent or magical or anything, but people get something out of it because they get something from themselves. The hug from Amamata helps them realize something about themselves that allows them to feel like they're transcending who they were before and becoming a better person and that this like guru has helped them do it when really the guru even gurus will say i can't do that for you it's like it's only it's something that you know change must come from within or whatever so i think it makes like it's like this stuff that it does work for people in a way but it really is just like platitudes and like meditation it's not really there's nothing in it really uh other than like have fun and feel good about yourself in a way. You know what I mean? Nothing I saw from like uh, the guru in the documentary was earth shattering information. It just sounded like your average sermon combined with some ritualistic sex. (laughs) He was high as a motherfucker the whole time though, because apparently like the LA people were pumping him full of like nitrous oxide and like other like prescription drugs and shit. And just every clip you see of him talking, he's just like, he is lit. Like he's about. He's basically like a, a SoundCloud rapper. He's just about to start being like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I think it was really interesting to tie this all. I guess to what we talk about a lot on this show was kind of its uh, the weird way it combined this Eastern philosophy and just utterly like american uh, capitalist sentiments yeah and they did have like hundred like at, at their peak like over a hundred million dollars which in i guess in 80s money that's probably like two trillion dollars now or whatever but um either way speaking of ridiculous sums of money we recently found out that barack and michelle obama are about to get that netflix cheddar they're about to get that cash 
You know, I remember when Barack and Michelle and I would do open mics all over Chicago together and to see the to see them get their big Netflix uh, special. You know, I just you know, I, we came up together and it's such bullshit. So many people work like like toil and like in a fucking showbiz career for so long. And then Netflix just hands out a fucking like 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 series and documentaries, unscript scripted series. They're gonna do. Like, I don't want to watch a Barack Obama like produced scripted series. That sounds awful. He should just take over as the writer of Arthur. Like that's where he. That's his lane. I think. I think he could write really good episodes of Arthur. Uh, DW. Uh, you uh, took my ball. Well, the means-tested study that I ran actually made it clear that you aren't in need of that ball, Barack. Uh, let me be clear. <laughs> I am also producing a docu-series on, uh... Uh... No, I just, <laughs> I could just do that forever. Um, <laughs> I was gonna I, say I, you're ugged. <laughs> Did it. I'm just so sick. I'm so sick of this shit. Like, what happened to the old romantic idea that the ex-presidents just kind of, you know, go go up on a mountain and, you know, re- read a book till they die? Yeah, or, like, you know, do some fucking, like, community service or something. Like, I understand he's probably doing some, like, philanthropy or whatever, but, like, it does seem like he's kind of just wants to be, like, a media celebrity now. In a way that I find odd, uh, I'm not gonna say it's like a betrayal because he was he was obviously like kind of a celebrity as president, but I don't know. It's there's something about it that seems like disingenuous. Everyone shit on the idea of Trump TV, but like you know, people were tweeting shit to the effect of. I'm swooning over Barack and Michelle are going to have like a series. And Netflix, given the overall deal to the Obamas, uh, just seems a little extraneous to me. But you know what? Netflix needs just needs to keep building that content library. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to be binge watching this. This is truly content. <laughs> I don't like using the the word to refer to everything, but this is some content. This is purely to gorge yourself on, like, just a bunch of hot air. There's no particular, like, artistic reason for this to happen. If Barack had been like, I wrote a screenplay, it would be one thing. But it's not. It's like, oh, he's going to, like, push out some stuff for an app. And it's like... Why do we have to be all Silicon Valley about this? Remember when, like, presidents used to just, like, write books and shit? I mean, Obama did that. Like, it seems a little bit like a naked cash grab, and it seems a little like a, I don't know, at best it's, like, a hokey way to, like, influence the discourse, which I don't think is really a useful or a good use of Obama's time and, like, power specifically. But another thing that i guess people have had a kind of a similar reaction to is the solo movie this idea of it being like a just like it had to happen like disney had to make the solo movie to cash in on it god i rode the elevator at work with alden aaron rick like the the guy who plays han solo um <laughs> the other day at work and i literally i thought i was just riding up with like a repair guy <laughs> like <laughs> 
I, I, I looked at him with this, like, I was like, oh, I feel like I've seen that janitor before. And it's like, oh, no, I've just seen him in, like, Hail Caesar and, like, the fucking Star Wars solo uh, previews. But he has zero star power. They did a event uh, with the, uh, I believe it was Paul Bettany, I think, and uh, Donald Glover, Amelia Clark, who plays, like, Khaleesi on Game of Thrones, and um, Alden Ehrenreich, and he just looked like a fucking turd. Like, just... There's... The movie's called Solo. The least interesting part shouldn't be the Solo. My perception when they first talked about making this and doing it with, like, a relative unknown as the lead, I mean, it makes sense that they did an unknown because... It, it, it's preposterous anyway. Apparently they had like a ridiculous like Hunger Games-esque fucking casting call for just like every actor. Like just so many of them auditioned to be like Han Solo, like some preposterous, you know, record-breaking Disney amount or whatever. But the idea that you're going to remake like the most iconic role of one of the most iconic, probably the most iconic movie franchise played by like one of the once again the one of the most iconic actors of all time who it was a huge deal when harrison ford even reprised his role as han solo at his age in the seventh or whatever star wars movie and the idea that you were going to remake it not to mention the like have you know donald glover as lando calrissian makes a little more sense because donald glover is actually very talented people know about him and they know he's like charismatic and i can i feel like he maybe could land it but even he has his work cut out for him and living up to billy d williams billy d williams was the spokesman for like cult 45 he's like the coolest dude on earth star wars is uh, i mean we we've discussed this how little of an event it is anymore it's just i mean it might as well just be like a prestige tv series with like episodes at this point dude they might as well put it on netflix yeah, yeah. they might as well put it on netflix for sure and like the idea that I don't know, I when I first heard of this, I was like, it, on paper, it sounds. I think we said this about the, the May the Fourth tweet that Kumail had in the last episode. But on paper, would I want to see a prequel movie about Han Solo? Hell, fucking yeah! It sounds amazingly cool. Han Solo's just being cool and flying around the Millennium Falcon and fucking people up like for two hours before the events of a new hope you get to find out about like what a parsec is and all this other like they can do a million they're gonna do a million nauseating callbacks to the first movie and stuff but it should be cool it, it, it makes sense but it's it, we i know it's gonna be like a fucking netflix show the problem i think will uh, ultimately like you hear about the like troubled production behind this movie i just feel like it's not gonna i mean it's not going to be a cohesive thing considering that Disney like wiped away the um, uh, Lord and Miller team who <laughs> do such a great job in like the Jump Street movies and like uh, they, uh, the Will Forte's uh, show Last Man on Earth, which just got canceled, which I was a big fan of. They uh, worked <laughs> on that initially. Uh, the Lego movie. They've done a lot of stuff. Um, they uh, got fired halfway through the movie. And uh, Ron Howard replaced them, which is like, I'm sorry, Ron Howard is like the most bland, uh, <laughs> like paint by numbers director on the face of the fucking planet. And that's completely fine. But like, it's, I just, uh, you know, it, it seems kind of like, uh, 
when you have to also like hot they had to hire like an acting coach to help alden aaron wreck like do capture han solo like this is a very troubled production and that doesn't always bode well for like a big studio movie yeah about the um lord and miller thing apparently the president of lucasfilm kathleen kennedy um spoke about what she she thought that Howard was better just because she needed someone who's going to be non-threatening and very collaborative and most importantly in this case someone who really deeply understood actors and performance and the cast would feel very comfortable and safe with which is I mean like once again Ron Howard's a pro I'm sure it'll be like technically serviceable but this is a movie about Han Solo Han Solo shoots first he plays off the cuff he's like a, a an outlaw cowboy in space like he's supposed to be like this freewheeling wacky guy and having it be like paint by numbers. Like you said, it's, it does not bode well, uh, especially given all the fucking troubled uh, aspects of the shooting that we've already heard about. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to also say that I hate the whole like Lando is pansexual thing, <laughs> which for some reason we need to know like the sexuality of every fucking creature in every movie. But I just feel like who fucking can't like this, this effort to like make our Disney movies like woke as well <laughs> as entertaining. is just like exhausting. It's not even like they're really woke. They're like, no, like performatively woke. It's not like he's going to fuck like a trans alien in the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like against the wishes of like the galactic empire or something. It's, they're not going to write that in, but with what I do think what it is, is this like, it's a very easy advertising gig for them to like be performatively woke and just shoehorn some like identity bullshit, like just in like, to be clear, like we're not offended at the idea that like Lando Calrissian is pan or whatever. Like he's a sexy guy and it's in space. So like clearly everybody's fucking everybody in space. I don't think there's like gay or straight in space. So it doesn't fucking matter. You assume pan for everybody. And the fact that you need to like clarify it or, and that you need to congratulate yourself on that. It's just so heinous. So I remember in one of the new Star Trek movies that they made, um, they shoehorned in for for the character that George Takai used to play, um, Commander Zulu. They, they shoehorned in this fucking thing where they made John Cho, who plays Zulu in the new movies, they made him just say, like, uh, like kiss a man in the sh- scene just to establish that Zulu's gay, but even George Takai didn't like it because like George Takai is gay, but Zulu's not gay. Zulu fucks women in the Star Trek series in the original. And they were nowhere, they only made him gay because George Takai is gay. He's like, it's totally unrelated and just performative and like just cheesy and doesn't add anything to the fucking plot. It's not even good representation. It's just like a fucking throwaway scene for no purpose. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, perhaps an overused word, but it's like just kind of like tokeny and like you know, uh, uh, fucking performative and meaningless. But hell, uh, maybe the movie will be fun. <laughs> well, nothing will ever be as none of the new movies will ever be as good as Rogue One. So I think we can move on to our story time this week. And uh, this week, it's it's my turn, I think. That's right. So I'm going to launch right into it. This one's very pertinent to what we were talking about, about, you know, white people assuming criminality and people of color. Um, 
today, literally hours before recording, this humble reporter, myself, I was getting out of work and uh, my girlfriend was coming to pick me up and uh, she is black. She, by the time I came out the front door, I see that she's sitting, you know, in the little alcove where they have for like cars to pick people up in my, at my building. And there's a person in like a purple, like Acura pulled in behind her. And the, this white woman in the car gets out of the car and walks up to my girlfriend. She rolls the window down and she's like, can I help you? And this woman claims that my girlfriend hit her car, which I was like, at first I was like, did she actually do it? But, was, but she didn't. I walked around, I looked at the cars, neither of them, none of them had any damage. And I was just bewildered. And the lady's like, give me your license. Like, give me your proof of identity. I need all of this so I can take pictures of it. And, and my girlfriend was like, I don't understand why you need my like address on my driver's license and stuff. That doesn't make any sense given this, I also didn't hit your car. There's, and the woman, I asked the lady, I was like, is there a problem here? And this woman says, oh, uh, she hit my car, but there's no damage. And I was like, well, how did she hit the car but not cause any damage? So instantly I kind of realized that this lady was probably a scammer or something. Because um, she just like came out and just out of nowhere is like demanding my girlfriend's information and shit. So I sprang into action. I just took like 15 pictures of just her, like our cars next to each other. I made sure the lady saw me taking the pictures too. And as I started taking the pictures, the lady kind of like just looked more dejected and like, it's sort of like the, I guess the, the barbecue lady who got the cops called on her. A little, <laughs> I mean, that's like, all getting... I think anyone is picturing right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was like Sunglasses, getting Sunglasses, the, the shitty fucking like pizza sauce stained hoodie. Like, Oh, I mean like not to play up stereotypes, but this lady was just like a tall, she was the ultimate, like, can I talk to your manager kind of white woman. <laughs> she was, like, blonde and, like, tall and skinny and, like, had a sour face and shit. And, I, but I like, I, it made no sense, obviously, because there was no damage on either of the cars at all. Like, there was, you know, like, even if you do a love tap or something, I can always tell. There's nothing. I, I took very detailed pictures on, uh, and I just, I was so bewildered. And I was like, oh, I was like, this... What I think happened was that um, maybe my this lady thinks my girlfriend cut her off at some point. Like, she claimed that she hadn't even seen this car before or whatever. But maybe at some point she, this lady was perceived as slight. And um, she followed her to my office and pulled up. And, like, I think she thought she was – I think she was trying to maybe scare her, scare my girlfriend. A little road just, rage. Or maybe just put her in her place a little bit. Like, it was just kind of weird. I was wondering if, like, I had been driving. You know, I'm a white guy. Like, if, if necessarily I would have been, sing like, kind of received as much vitriol. Like I said earlier, it didn't make a lot of sense unless I interpreted it as, like, a racist thing. Yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think that um, certainly uh, if you were driving, it could have uh, definitely been different. Yeah, it just seemed like an excessive reaction, and I was like, she might just be trying to put, like, you know, a black woman in her place and be like, you should think twice before, you know, cutting me off or doing whatever slight. Or maybe she thought that my girlfriend was uninsured, that she'd be able to call the cops on her, or, I mean, when we reported it to the insurance company, they said, why didn't you call the cops? And I was like, well, because... <laughs> You know, the cops don't always have the right reaction in these situations when there's a black person present. So, uh, I don't know. 
either way, it was just bizarre, and it, you know, it just happened today. And I'm trying. So to did the lady? Did the lady leave? Yeah, eventually she left after um, I got all the pictures, and like she, I think really just once she realized I was taking pictures and I wasn't a chump, and I wasn't gonna let her like argue that we had like and somehow hit her car, car or committed any wrongdoing. Like if she thought she was gonna do a hit and run, she should have just called the police herself. It made no sense. So I just wanted to make sure that our ground was covered, and eventually the lady just, I guess we we left, and the lady left herself. But yeah, can't uh, can't trust right white people to always leave you alone. I guess. <laughs> so let that be a lesson to fans of this show. If you get into an incident uh, like that, just take pictures of the person until they get scared and leave. Yeah, never underestimate an irritable white woman. And that's how we'll leave it today. It's the plunge. Follow at plunge underscore podcast on Twitter and follow the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Please uh, rate and review us. Uh, Rate us five stars and write a review on iTunes so more people hear about the show and we can do more with the show. And that just really, really helps us out. So thank you. Uh, for doing that and thanks for listening everybody it's the plunge real people went away I'll find a better way someday leaving only me and my dreams My cattle And a resonator I drove all the beasts down Right under your nose The lumbering Blues power, the bull and the rose. Don't touch them. Don't try to hurt them. My by the crops I thought the crops were lost I consoled myself with rudimentary thoughts And I set my watch against the city clock It was way off One thing about this wild, wild country Takes a strong, strong, breaks a strong, strong mind Yeah, one thing about this wild, wild country Takes a strong, 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 str
belongs to the cattle through the valley. Everyone, one, one, one. 